Hi, I'm Jake, your podcast producer here at New Hope, and I'd like to invite you to join us with her a new show. It's called What Do I Say? and it's hosted by Pastor Ryan. It seeks to answer just that question. What do I say when I'm dealing with these issues? Whether that's homosexuality, the problem of good and evil, or does God exist? We invite you to listen along to today's episode. It's a good one. Hello and welcome to the podcast show, What Do I Say? My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor at New Hope Church, and I'm joined by another staff pastor, Jake Sanders. Hi. We want to thank you for listening today. The goal of this podcast is to apply the timeless truth of Scripture to the timely topics we face today. This is really about being equipped as followers of Jesus to be able to respond to the pressing questions of the day. Each episode, we will take on one topic that may be confusing or or complex or or whatnot, and aim to help us think and to respond biblically. As always, I invite uh, feedback or questions. You could email me at ryan at newhopeadel.org. Today we're taking on uh, the final episode on the topic, the question, what do I say about homosexuality? This is part three, and it's time to get practical. I would encourage you, if you have not yet listened to parts one and two, that you would press pause on this episode, go back and listen to those those episodes, and then join us on this one. Now, in this final episode, I want to share three principles for how to respond to the people in your life who identify as homosexual. And then we're going to take on some questions. And actually, these are your questions, questions that listeners have have raised uh, as a result of this podcast. And uh, at the end of this episode, Pastor Jake will be uh, asking those questions and we'll be interacting with that. It'll be fun to get into that part. Again, today is about getting practical, and I I hope and we have prayed that this is a tremendous help to you. What we'd like to do is to to share three principles that you and I can apply to our lives for for how to respond to the people in our lives. Ryan, what do you mean by principles? Well, principles are are, are tools that help us guide and to think biblically about this topic, uh, in contrast to just a list of do's and don'ts. Okay, so bigger than just a command, but... Something that helps us figure out what the Bible might say. Exactly. Okay. They can be uh, they can be handholds or anchors, or we can have any kind of sort of example of how these work. But I like them because again, it pushes us to think, mm-hmm. to pray, and then mm-hmm. to respond biblically. Super important. Now these principles are interesting, I think, because they're they're interconnected. In other words, all three of them work together. They're not standalone. So in that way, they're sort of like a Venn diagram or the Olympics are starting soon. Think of like the Olympic symbol and how those circles interconnect with each other. In many ways, these principles do the same. So let's begin with these and unpack each of them. Here's the first one. If you have a person in your life that identifies as a homosexual, the principle is this, love them as Jesus would love them and as Jesus does love them. Mm-hmm. This is important. We look at scripture and the gospel specifically, and we see that Jesus extended loving kindness to all the people he interacted with, tax collectors, the, the prostitutes, the, the sinners, and, and the church today should, should do the same. He, he is our example in terms of living in a Christ-like way. We see that Jesus spent time with them and built relationships with them. He also didn't try to address every sin in every conversation. Mm-mm. So what does this mean? Well, I think that means a few things. I think, for example, it means that that all people, regardless of, 
sexual orientation, they're welcome to hear and to receive the gospel and to respond in worship and obedience. This means for us in our context that all people, regardless again of sexual orientation, they're welcome at New Hope Church. They're welcome at any of the ministries at New Hope Church. That includes kids ministry, Mm -hmm. student ministry, which is your area of leadership, and more. They're welcome to, to, to come and to engage and to hear about the Lord who loves them and about a Savior who died for them. This is so important. You know what also this means? This means that, at least for us as New Hope Church, this means that we don't send check people at the doors of the church. It's not like people show up and we have, and we do have security, but we have the, the bouncers, the sin bouncers at the front door that that sort of evaluate people. So so I'm sort of being silly now, but you walk in and it's like, well, wait a minute, you're, you're homosexual. Well, you're not welcome here. Well, we don't do that. Just like we, we don't have people at the door who you, you show up, a person shows up and, and you say, well, hold on a second there, Joe. I know you lost your temper this week and you lived pretty selfish. So... I guess we'll let you in, but you don't get coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't do that. That's mm-hmm. not what the church is about and how we behave. See, when it comes to the people in your life who identify as homosexual, always lead with love. That's our first principle. Let's move on to principle number two. Building on this first one of leading with love, here it is. If the person in your life who identifies as homosexual is a believer, then it's our role, it's our responsibility and privilege to help them to adjust their identity. Mm -hmm. See, homosexuality, it's interesting, is for most a sin of identity. So this means, of course, that it's how they label who they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, It becomes the primary means or lens for how they see themselves. And I suppose, apart from Christ, this makes sense. But when a person, and I mean any person, makes a decision to follow Christ, well, that person has signed on to the pursuit of denying self and taking up their cross. Luke 9.23 talks about this, this idea of take up your cross and, and follow me, Jesus says. In other words, it means that their primary identity, this is for a believer now, is Jesus' follower and not the sum total of their behaviors. So what does this mean? Well, this principle means, therefore, that when a person who identifies as homosexual becomes a Christian, or is a Christian, it is important to lovingly help that person in the sanctification process. In other words, to help that person find their identity first and most in Mm -hmm. Jesus and not their sexual orientation. Which is completely counter to what the world is saying. Completely counter. And maybe even counter to the ways they're patterned to think about themselves. Mm-hmm. But but homosexual or heterosexual, a person who signs on as a Jesus follower, your identity is first and most mm-hmm. in Christ. You are who he says you are, and not who we think we are, not who culture says we are, or anybody else. And so this becomes a massive shift in thinking, but this is a part of that discipleship process. And so how do I do this? Well, there's a lot to say about this, but this is discipleship, and maybe it looks like a one-on-one relationship. 
Maybe it looks like a Bible study. Maybe it, it, it can look a lot of different ways, but it's walking alongside somebody to help that person to mature in their relationship with Jesus and incrementally help them shift their thinking to identifying in Christ and not in their sexual orientation, as well as to encourage celibacy as a legitimate and honorable lifestyle. And this is for someone who is a believer. That's an important distinction, isn't mm-hmm. it? Apart from Christ, a person could form their identity in any number of ways, including mm-hmm. their sexual orientation. And again, I think that makes sense. But when we become a Christian, that's the game changer. Mm-hmm. That then informs every other aspect of our life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the first one, lead with love. The second one, helping the believer any believer who we have the opportunity with to to shift their identity to being in Christ. And then here's number three, our last principle. It's this idea that you can still love a person and maintain your biblical convictions. In other words, never waver. I want to encourage all of us, all, all the listeners, you and I in the room here recording this podcast, that, that we never buy into the lie that loving a person means constant agreement in support of, of anything a person says or does. And I know this can feel difficult, but this is so true. See, if it was true that we always need to go along to get along, that that means, for example, good parenting would be immoral and even unbiblical. A good parent will will challenge and 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 raise their child um, to navigate some of the traps and lies that people can believe. See, it is possible to lovingly disagree without being disagreeable. It's possible to Uh, lovingly offer caution or even challenge. In other words, love does warn. Mm -hmm. The loving thing to do sometimes is to issue caution and Mm -hmm. warning. Yeah, but doing it lovingly is so important. And the idea that we we let the truth speak for itself and we say it as gently, but as truthfully as we possibly can. Absolutely. Uh, there, there are some people that relish challenging, and they lean one way towards all truth and no love, and some of us are anti-confrontational, and we're thrilled to love, but when it comes to speaking truth into someone's life, like it's a lot harder for some of us. The challenge is real, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, oh, for sure. And the calling is just as real. Mm-hmm. Amen. So what does this mean? Well, it means that that we as followers of Christ, we, we, we need to aim to live unapologetically bold in our pursuit of loving Jesus and obeying Scripture. It, it means as we do this, we acknowledge that we're all in the sanctifying process. In other words, we're all works in progress. Mm-hmm. None of us have arrived. Yeah, we haven't made it yet. So we don't engage from that posture of I'm on high that I have arrived and clearly you are, boy, you need a lot of work. So aren't yeah. you glad I'm here to help you, right? Well, we don't do that. We're we're all in the sanctifying process and yet we uphold holiness as a lifestyle argument, a uh, 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 lifestyle. This, this means that we embrace countercultural living as a worldview and all of its consequences. I mean, after all, what you tolerate today, you will accept tomorrow. 
This is this is just true. So so here on this principle is the effort laid out that we strive to maintain a balance between grace and truth. And Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 14, he was he was described as one who came who who lived and exemplified this beautiful balance of in his react interactions with people of grace and truth. He always got it right. And we don't always get it right, of course. But he gives for us this example of striving to hit that balance of graciousness and how we interact and lead with love, unwavering, though, in our conviction and grounding in what we hold to be true. See, remember, we can be on the right side of the issue, but on the wrong side of the conversation. Hmm. Right side of the issue, wrong side of the conversation. I don't think I've ever heard that before. So those are our three principles. And again, they're they're not standalones. They interact with each other. So what does this mean? I think in summary conclusion, I think it means that we strive to lead with love, rooted always in truth Mm -hmm. with a heart and a willingness to walk alongside someone and point them to Jesus. I hope that's helpful as we think about how to respond to the people in our lives, how to depend on the Lord, to trust him, to to know how to do this, and to have these, though, as helpful uh, guiding principles in our relationships and interactions with the people that the Lord has placed around us. Well, let's do this now. Let's get to some practical questions. Some questions, again, that have come in uh, through you listeners. Thank you for that. And just want to encourage you to continue to engage through email and and share thoughts or questions that you have on this this topic. Uh, So Pastor Jay's going to take it from here and ask these questions, and I'll do my best to respond. All right. So we've talked a lot about being a Christ follower. And one of the questions is, there's a common protest that Jesus himself never condemned homosexual behavior. If it truly is a sin, wouldn't he have said something about it? It's a great question. You would expect, I suppose, a reader of the Bible to say, well, why didn't Jesus talk about it? Or why couldn't we point to an example of a scripture where he, in very detailed and explicit ways, addresses this topic? But here's the thing. There are plenty of things that Jesus did not condemn, and yet we would maintain that they're scripture. And let me add to that, plenty of things Jesus did not condemn as far as we know. In fact, there's a, a scripture in the gospel that talked about how had it been recorded, everything that Jesus said, the world could not contain right. you know, the amount of sort of content there. But as far as we know from the gospel accounts, um, there are these things that Jesus didn't, did not condemn. Like, like, for example, Jesus did not explicitly condemn bestiality or torture. And yet we wouldn't sit here and question whether those things are immoral True. and a sin. Um, again, that Jesus did not condemn homosexuality is not necessarily then an endorsement of approval. Let me add one more thought on this before we move to our next question. Jesus did, and this is in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 8, Jesus did quote from the book of Genesis, the Old Testament, um, that passage, uh, affirming God's pattern for marriage Mm -hmm. as between one man and one woman for one lifetime. And so we do have in that passage some explicit teaching on his view of sexuality and, in this case, what marriage entails. Makes sense. Uh, Next question we have is, 
Um, does the legalization of gay marriage in America, um, which happened in 2015, mean that homosexual behavior is no longer a sin? How does laws and our view of morality change? Yeah. And I'm glad this question was asked by by an email that came in uh, because culture would, uh, would, would argue this, that, mm-hmm. hey, we've evolved, you yeah. know, that maybe scripture from eons past that was the way they they did things then but today we have we have progressed past this and we've even legalized it here in america so how can we say that it's wrong if it's legal well remember first of all legality and morality are not the same thing every law in america has a moral component to it but just because something is legal doesn't make it moral and vice versa I mean, we we know this because we don't want our kids to just grow up to not be criminals. We want them to be good kids. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think what's helpful on this question is to come back to this this idea that it is the Lord who created marriage. Mm-hmm. This is this was His idea. He he invented this this union, and therefore He gets to define what it is. Now, I just mentioned this actually in the previous question here. Jesus spoke to this and is clear that marriage is between one man and one woman. That Genesis passage I just referred to, well, chapter 2, verse 24, this pattern is set where it says in Genesis 2, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be uh, united to his wife and they will become one flesh. So here's the big idea. Just because society or a legal entity redefines marriage does not change its original intent. Mm. And we have to come back to that and remember that. Okay. So how do we answer the question? Um, someone who identifies as gay saying I was born gay. That is not something I can change about myself. My attraction to the same gender is out of my control. It's the same as my skin color, same as my height. It is just who I am. It's in my DNA. Therefore, how can it be a sin? This is a great question, isn't it? And and a tough one. Because today there's there's a huge debate as to whether homosexuality is something that you're born with or uh, or is the result of how you were raised. So it goes back to that nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. idea. And the reason for the importance of, of this argument that you phrased as a question is that if homosexuality comes from genetics, then it's normal and acceptable. It's sort of like digestion. It just it just is baked in to the DNA of who we are as people. And and therefore, how can it be wrong? How can we say it's wrong? Now, I guess my first thoughts on this is there's a whole lot to say on this topic. Um, and I would add to it, I think there's a lot we don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're continuing to learn about this kind of a thing. But let me offer two two thoughts. The first one is, I, I don't think this this argument is compelling. Um, and not? let me give you an example. Um, some researchers, researchers, excuse me, today are now pointing out that they've discovered a gene that predis- predisposes people to alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Well, does that mean, therefore, that it's acceptable for a person with that gene that's active to live as an alcoholic? Obviously not. And, and I think for most people, they would, yeah, lean toward that idea. Well, if we're consistent, then then it would sort of play the same with homosexuality. I think 
I think the way to answer this question, and this is now my personal, just personal opinion, is this. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if it's nature versus nurture. See, the important thing is not how you got your orientation, but what you do with it. I think that's the important thing. So coming back to what we've already talked about in these episodes here is that it's the calling of every follower of Christ, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, it does not matter to place sexual desires within them under the Lordship of Christ. See, the source of the desire is not as important as what we do with the desire that we experience. And, the, and that idea is not even unique to homosexuality. I mean, we talked about pornography on the first episode. And as a Jesus follower, we're called to submit all of our ungodly desires to him and to deny ourselves, like Luke 9 talks about. Yeah. Absolutely. Super important. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so this is a question that I also have, so I'm asking it because it's on the sheet, but also because I want to know your answer. I've been invited to a gay wedding. Should I go? Out of all the questions that we receive, this is the one that I've spent the most time on, mm-hmm. the most time um, praying and reflecting. Um, this is tough. And I remember it too. It was, There was a Sunday two years ago-ish or so, and I was leaving uh, l- leaving the church, good morning, you know, and all of that, and was heading to the car and was walking with my son. And out of nowhere, he drops the bomb of this question on me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so dad, like, would you go? And and I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, so I, I responded and, and he kept pressing. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, so, but what if it was one of your kids mm-hmm. and it was their wedding, would you go? Mm-hmm. And... And we had a we had a wonderful conversation about it, but this is this is one that's real, mm-hmm. right? This is one that people wonder about, and and maybe one of you listeners, you've been put in this position where you have to sort of navigate, like what what do I do with this? See, the question is hard because it puts the 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 person, uh, the believer, any of you who are listening to this podcast, it puts the believer between a rock and a hard place, if you will, because. Mm-hmm. It feels really unloving to decline the invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, it it would feel or even appear like you're not leading with love, and you're sort of severing the relationship and the opportunity to have an influence and impact in their lives. Mm-hmm. So, so that's on one side. The other side of the equation is to attend feels like and likely is an endorsement of of the marriage. Mm-hmm. And so you have these two tension points here of how do I how do I navigate this? So at the end of it all, here's my answer and how I would respond uh, if anybody in, in this question, of course, was asked. Here's how I would respond to it. I would encourage you to seek the Lord about this. Get before Him and evaluate your own heart and how you would navigate this question and this scenario of this invitation. And as you do this, it's going to help you begin to establish your own convictions on this. Now, maybe as a listener, you're hearing this and you're thinking that's not a very satisfying answer. Like you just ducked, <laughs> you just ducked the question here. But but here's the thing. I do think that this approach will push you to check your heart and to check your motivations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I was I was talking to my wife Laura about this and and asked her the question. So what would you do? 
her answer to me was really interesting and got me thinking some more. And she's like, actually, I have a different question for you. She said, let's shift the question from would you go to the gay wedding event to would you ever even be invited? And I thought, wow, okay. That's an interesting way to think about it. In other words, do you have those kinds of relationships with these people? Jesus, he was in the weeds with all kinds of people. Yeah, he did not surround himself with all the perfect do-gooders. Exactly. And that was intentional, right? Mm -hmm. As he was there and he was interacting, we've already talked about that. And how about us? Now, now I'm not I'm not saying that we sort of intentionally go out our way to necessarily pursue relationships, I guess, with anybody. But but my my thing about it is that God does bring people into our lives, mm-hmm. and they're there for a reason. And so we get to be light and salt and mm-hmm. an encouragement and all things that we've been talking about about how we relate with these people. And this question ties into that. So how do I lovingly? walk alongside them, maintaining that relationship and leading with love and unwavering in my conviction that I don't agree with this. And the scriptures are very clear about this. The tensions are real. And Jesus, who never sinned, navigated that very same thing. Mm-hmm. And as followers of Christ, we have that command and call. Now, we don't get it right all the time like he did. But nonetheless, the pursuit is there, and I think the tension is still still real. And so I, I don't think it's just a cop-out answer, but I do encourage you as the listener to form your convictions and really wrestle about how you would respond to this mm-hmm. question. Uh, so the last question that was asked, again, very applicable to me as well, so I'm looking forward to your answer here is, how do I help my kids with this topic? How do we navigate? Questions they have, peers they have, media they end up consuming, whether we wanted them to watch it or not. Absolutely. See, this topic, it's not just influencing adults. Mm -mm. And it's not just that it's just filtered down into the teenage years. Mm -mm. But this is also children. I mean, they're increasingly at a younger age interacting and being exposed to this topic. Um, I want to share a few thoughts that I shared actually recently at a kids ministry training. And I was so proud of and thankful that the kids ministry at New Hope wanted to open up space to have a conversation about this because they recognize that these questions are coming at a younger and younger age. Mm-hmm. And so how do we how do we deal with this? So if you're in kids ministry or you're a parent, a grandparent, I hope this is an encouragement to you in terms of some of this these thoughts here. I want to begin with with actually generation uh, Z. Generation Z, uh, which is a, approximately 11 to 27-year-olds, one of the things that's important uh, character trait about this generation is that they are sexually confused as a generation and very fluid. In other words, this generation, more than any other, has eagerly embraced homosexuality and transgenderism mm-hmm. and, and even pornography as very sort of normal practices. Mm-hmm. And Generation Alpha, which is the next one, uh, which is ages zero to 12-year-olds today, while the jury's sort of still out on the characteristics of this generation, by all appearances, they they seem to be right in line with the views of Generation Z there. Um, 
So I found this, this is, you're going to find this interesting and maybe, maybe mind blowing. Uh, Newsweek, October of 2021, they cited a George Barna study. And here's what Barna found in his survey work that 40% of Generation Z identifies as LGBTQ, et cetera. Let that sink in. 40% of Generation Z identifies that. And 30% of those who are Christian Gen Zers identify that way too. I mean, it's less, but not much. Call it one out of three. Mm-hmm. Identify that way. That That is massive. And, and I'll be honest with you. When I read that stat, I didn't believe it. You're saying almost 50% of a generation identify mm-hmm. in this way. Well, digging a little further in this Newsweek article, Barna made this quote, and I'm thankful he did. I'm just going to read the quote to you because I think he's right on. He said this. um, I'm summarizing this part here, and then I'll get to the quote part. He attributed, Barna now, the high numbers in his study to uh, social and news media coverage, and here's the quote, that makes it safe and cool for young Americans to identify as LGBTQ even if that doesn't represent their actual sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Isn't that yeah. interesting? So, yeah. so what's that mean? That means that the pressure, the societal pressure on Gen Zers and Gen Alphas, right, in the queue is absolutely immense. That if you want to be on the right side of the argument and culture to not get bullied, to not mm-hmm. be ostracized to look down on is to embrace or identify in this way, even if that's not actually who you are. Mm -hmm. So we need to recognize, I I think from the beginning, that the kids that we love and are raising and investing into, this is the milieu and society they're growing up in. Let me share another story, just a personal one. Uh, On the side, I, I teach at a local community college. Last semester, it was an ethics class, and at the end of the semester, the students were doing debates. So they were given um, a social issue and then uh, argue for or against that issue. They were assigned all of these. Last semester, the, the last debate was on the topic of homosexuality. I've never seen this before. But when the team that was assigned the position of arguing against it, when it was their turn to present their arguments for this assignment... They actually started with a heartfelt apology Mm. to their opponent and to the rest of the class that the opponent and the rest of the class had to hear these arguments, that that even they would speak them out loud, there there was almost a degree of shame in having, for the sake of this assignment, to argue that position. They issued an apology. I, As an instructor, I was sort of dumbfounded. Now, this didn't happen with the previous debate the same day on abortion, Mm-mm. torture, capital punishment. There's no apology. There's never been apologies there. But on this one, the group said, we are so sorry that we have to argue a position against homosexuality. Mm. This is pretty remarkable. See, the kids that you have and I have, we have the privilege to raise and to minister to are flooded with pressure 
and confusion on this topic. So what, what do we do? Here, here's my encouragement. Age-appropriate discipleship is key. That as you think about preschool age, for example, I think the key step here is that there's intentionality in investing into the children in your life, a focus on what the gospel is all about and forming a biblical worldview mm-hmm. about, about the world, about mm-hmm. reality. As they get older, let's say elementary school age from there, then you begin to talk to the kids in your life about God's design for marriage and marital love and what that looks like. My point is this, focus on building a foundation of what the scripture teaches and God's design first so that the kids in your life can spot what is different. Rather than beginning with what Christians are against, Mm -hmm. build a foundation of what they're for. It's sort of like the analogy of how do people spot counterfeit money? Mm-hmm. Well, they become experts on the real thing. Right. And that way they can spot the, the false thing as opposed to studying every type of false scenario of how mm-hmm. it can be counterfeited. And so that would be my encouragement on, on that front. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is a high calling and a big deal and, yeah. and a challenging one to love and to raise the kids that the Lord has put into our lives around this topic. Well, for the sake of time, I want to just offer some closing thoughts on this topic. And for those of you listening, we did go a little long today, but I thank you for for joining us as well as the other episodes on this topic as well. My closing encouragement is this, that when it comes to homosexuality or the people in our lives that identify as homosexuals, can I ask us that we remember that we're not dealing with enemies, we're dealing with captives. What I mean by that is that if you think about if you think about a hostage situation, every good cop knows you don't take a shot unless you can separate the kidnapper from the hostage. In the same in the same way, in the battle of ideas, we we can't just drop truth bombs and walk away and let the chips fall where they may. Mm. These people like all people, they need what everybody needs, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So so we must strive to maintain love for the person in the context of a relationship while, while of course, prayerfully and carefully demolishing the lies that they're believing. That we are okay with walking beside somebody. It's been said it's it's hard to take a punch at a person you're walking next to. Mm. And so that we commit to walk alongside and, and to love them. Unwavering, though, and our convictions that are rooted in scripture that are then founded in the person, nature, and character of who God is. And finally, that we don't debate the ideas of this topic more than we aim to bring people to the heart of who God is and to let him do the inner work, the inner life work that needs to happen in their life, just like it needs to happen in my life in all of our lives. See, the, as we talked about earlier, the, the foot of the cross is a pretty equal spot. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what we're dealing with. It doesn't matter what sin patterns we fall into or what places where we identify. We come broken and we all come needy and, and we need God to do a redeeming work in our heart and life. 
I want to uh, mention too, before we close, uh, if you want to dive deeper into this topic, one book that I have found helpful is a book by David Bennett. It's called A War of Loves. And uh, David does a remarkable job as a person who himself would identify as a Christian homosexual who is this stage of his life is identify as uh, practicing abstinence. And he's involved in ministry, but he takes us through his story of of living as a homosexual and then his experience in the church, mm. which isn't pretty. And then his experience in the homosexual community and then how Jesus got a hold of his life and how that all worked out in his life. And so uh, I, I, if you choose to read that, that one, yeah, it's called a war of loves by David Bennett. And so that's a, that's a one to check out there. Well, we took on a big topic, three episodes Jake, thanks for joining alongside and asking good questions and making great observations. And thank you to the listeners for being a part of of this topic. In our next episode, just to give you an idea of where we're going next, we're going to be taking on the question, what do I say about transgenderism? It's going to be another big one, but eager to take it on because it's it's here in culture and, and we need to think biblically about this one. So thank you again for being a part of it. God bless and we'll see you next time.